This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. William Branham often made a statement on recorded tape. I don't know the book, but I know the author real well. Referring to the Bible. And then he would commence teaching that same book to the growing minds of the men, women, and children who were longing to know more about God's Word. Yet the Bible says to know God, you know His Word. He is the Word. That same word was made manifest into flesh and came to die for our sins. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for straying from God's word, and yet that same word was proclaiming Christ all throughout the Old Testament. John 5 verse 39 says, Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. When my family took our stand for the truth and left the Branham movement, one of the first harsh realizations that hit us was that we knew very little about our Bibles. A great deal of what we'd been taught came from this teacher, and a great deal of what William Branham taught is not found in Scripture. Worse, a great deal of scripture is not found in the recordings of his ministry from 1947 to 1965. Huge portions were omitted. While he claimed to be a Huckleberry Finn preacher that was not a good study of the Word of God, <clears throat> it turns out that he was a strong study of the writings of other men. It's very easy to identify Charles Taze Russell's Jehovah's Witness theology woven all throughout the sermons, or the teachings of Dr. Dowie, the false prophet from Zion, Illinois. You'll find Russell's version of the book of Revelation <clears throat> until he starts reading from Clarence Larkin, at which time the white horse rider changes sides in the battle. I suddenly realized that we were treading on dangerous ground when I compared Branham's teaching of Scripture with the last chapter of the Bible specifically the 18th and 19th verse of the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Revelation 22 says, 
if any man shall add unto these things, God shall take away, shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man should take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. We can very easily identify huge portions of Bible teaching that have been removed to support the doctrines of Dowie and Russell, as well as teachings that were added to the Word of God. Elijah's dislike of women, for instance, and his condemnation of Jezebel's hair are not found in Scripture. It was quite a shock to find that Elijah's dislike was strongly pointed towards idolatry and human sacrifice instead of the harmless eyeshadow of a queen. Yet he continued to make statements about knowing the author without knowing the word. In 1956, the sermon, God Hath Provided a Way, Branham says, I'm not much of a teacher from the word of God, and I probably don't know too much about his book, but as I've often said, I know the author real well. The irony of this is that the growing number of pastors that this movement has produced, many of which are great studies of Branham's teachings of Scripture, his newly invented passages and his mixture of verses from different contexts are quoted repetitiously from behind these pulpits and into the younger generation of this movement without the slightest concern that they're teaching the growing minds of children from a teacher who admittedly taught something that he did not know. After reading and studying this book that I've held in my hand for the past 35 years, I regret not having studied it long before. I read my Bible like everyone else warming the pews of the Branham Tabernacle, but I read the chapters as though they were isolated from the rest of the book. I got really excited when I found something that seemed to support what William Branham taught. It was like finding that last hidden Easter egg after all the other children had taken the easy ones. There are so many good things in the Word of God, all which point to Jesus Christ. While trying to point scriptures to Branham's teaching, we were missing so many things that God was telling us in His Word. Entire books were left out of Branham's message, books that were fundamental in helping us to understand the failure of works' righteous faith. Lamentations, for instance, is a fundamental book in understanding the failure of the Old Covenant law and the need for a Redeemer to come free us from trying to save ourselves by the rules that we try to keep. Yet this book is only mentioned one single time in the entire recorded ministry of William Branham, and not even on recorded tape. It's written in the Church Age book, and ironically is used to speak out against this doctrine of knowing the author and not knowing the book. What William Branham says here is absolutely correct. He says, now we ask, what is the will of God? There is only one way to know his will, and that is by the word of God. Branham continues to say, Lamentations 337, 
Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord hath commanded it not? There it is. If it isn't in the word, you can't have it. So we can't ask unless it's in the word. And we can't petition or ask unless it's in his name. There it is again. Jesus, the name, is the word, will. You can't separate God and the word. They are one. That's William Branham in the Church Age book. <clears throat> the statement is correct. We cannot separate God and the Word. They are one, just as the book of John tells us. The Word is God. We cannot know the author without knowing the Word. But the following that the Pentecostal movement produced and its great leaders, William Branham promoted doctrines of law that had no room for this book of Lamentations. One can only assume why this book was omitted from his teaching, but the book of Lamentations certainly does not speak well for works righteous faith. God made covenants with righteous men in the Bible, not because they lived perfect lives, but because God loved them and chose them. God's covenant with Noah was before the law was given. And yet it was an unconditional covenant. Genesis 8 verse 21 says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. That's Genesis 8 verse 21. Yet, in the extra-biblical teaching of William Branham, the ground was already cursed, and man must earn salvation by adhering to the rules. Failure to obey was to grieve the Holy Spirit away, even though the Bible says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. God's covenant with Abraham was also unconditional. The children of Abraham would be without number. Genesis 15:5 says, And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and the number of the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said unto him, So shall your offspring be. <clears throat> Genesis 15:5. But God's covenant with Moses was conditional. God promised the blessings if the children obeyed the law, and promised curses if they did not obey. This covenant was a two-part contract between God and man signed by blood. Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8 say, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to these words. But almost immediately, this contract was broken. It only lasted until the 32nd chapter of Exodus. Exodus 32, verses 7 through 8 said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
That's Exodus 32, 7 through 8. <clears throat> the Old Testament gives example after example of the sin of man. Each time a righteous man rose to uphold the law, that same man fell. None could keep the rules that God had given them. And none could make themselves worthy by their own actions. They needed a Savior. Not just a Savior for sin. They had made a covenant and they had broken it. The children of Israel were now placed under the curses of the Old Covenant. The curse of the law. They needed a Savior who would redeem them from the curse of the law. Interestingly, the original Ten Commandments were given with no curse. And they were before the law of Moses. Before the graven image, the commandments were given to Moses, and they were instructions with no condemnation. But after God's wrath was kindled against Israel, the Mosaic law was given with both blessing and curse. Under God's wrath, this part was added. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19 but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I have commanded you today, then all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the increase of your herbs, and the young of your flock. Cursed will you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. It's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18. And the chapter continues describing these curses in great detail. Everything from famine to captivity to pestilence and death. All of these things described as curses if the children of Israel could not keep the, the law. And they couldn't. Paul says this in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law... Is not a faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's Galatians 3, verse 10 through 13. And if we try to, play, to save ourselves by upholding any single portion of the Mosaic law, we again have placed ourselves back under the curse. Later in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says this, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. <clears throat> the book of Lamentations is describing the fallen state of Israel after suffering from the curse of the law. Chapter 1 describes the mourning of the entire nation. Lamentations 1, verse 3 says, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And the people admitted defeat. They could not uphold the law, and they needed a Savior. 
verse 18 of chapter 1 says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. That's verse 18. But even in distress, God never left them. Remember, God said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23 through 26. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4 describes God's prophecy to Israel through Malachi, reassuring the children of Israel that the hearts will be restored to the fathers rather than destroying the entire land for failure to keep the law. God's second covenant with Moses was conditional. But God's covenant with Noah was unconditional. God promised Noah that he would not smite the entire earth, and nothing mankind can do will break that covenant. Remember what God said, Genesis 8, again, verse 21, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Lamentations ends with the pleading words to God. Israel begged for restoration. They needed a Savior to redeem them from their fallen state and deserve the penalty of everlasting separation from God. But they knew that God was faithful, and they knew that He promised that He would never again wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Lamentations 5, verses 20, 21 through 22 says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Followers of William Branham point this prophecy of redemption away from Jesus Christ, saying that the restorer is William Branham. Christ is denied so that man can be lifted, and law is supported so that grace can be denied. How long can this last? How long before those in the message start writing their own books of lamentations, pleading with God to restore them from their fallen state? How long before they accept the one who already came to restore?